and welcome back to the Y Hockey Periodically Recording on Halloween podcast. Now, in my career, fledgling, I've said things on this podcast that I would have probably regretted if I ever listened to some of these podcasts on playback from like four or five years ago. God knows how much I said I regret from that, and how much I've said on social media that I later regret. One thing I will never regret saying on a podcast of any kind is that for me, Halloween ain't the best holiday. Now, this also happens to be because I don't eat chocolate or candy, so I'm just pointing it out. How do you feel about Halloween, sir? Um, I mean, it's okay. I'm, I'm trying not to be negative, but I'm just <laughs> not enough? a huge, like, there's just, you know, too, there's a lot of holidays for me. There's yes. too many for me. There's too many for you and not enough for me, so if you do hear... The sounds of what might be small children in the background, that's because they are coming to the door for candy. <laughs> I don't know what candy is being handed out. I could just tell you that if you hear that, I'll try to edit it out. I can make no promises about such, such matters. I will say yes. we were supposed to do this last week. You were sick, I, unfortunately. I will, I will say, though, just to pick up on the Halloween thing a bit late, uh, but... I don't mind kids dressing up in costumes. Like, I think that's cool. Like, you know, it doesn't bother me. Like, I think that's that's cool. They're kids. Kids are fun. Yeah. Let them have fun. I'm not fun. Because uh, I never dressed up for Halloween when I was a kid because, well, the whole point of Halloween was to get candy and chocolate. And guess who doesn't like candy and chocolate? Uh, Halloween yeah, is pointless to me. I like dressing up as the Power Rangers. That was fun for me. That, that was a 90s thing. I think I dressed up in one of my Jaguars jerseys when I was a kid once and otherwise just flatly ignored it. <laughs> Because, again, no point. And I wear a Jaguars jersey when I was a kid anyway. So I, I like Reese's. You know, That's I could, all right. Whatever I got, I could trade. I could trade for some sort of peanut butter goodness. And uh, I'd, I'd find that. I don't like peanut butter That's either. Not. So that makes, uh, uh, well, you know. Man. Honestly, I don't, I don't eat Do that like much. Water? I don't eat that much. Like but just a pretzel. That's all I need. Um, as you said, I meant Good to do Philly a... pretzel, yeah. Oh, Good obviously, wall. of course. Wawa Philly street, Pretzel Factory. Street vendor preferred. Yes. Them. Well, yeah, those are also vendor. very good too. I don't get enough of those. Out of the shopping cart on the way out of the Flyers game. Mmm. Yeah, you're. I'm getting hungry now for some soft pretzels, and the Philly Pretzel Factory closes too early on most days anyway. Uh, as I said, we were supposed to do a show last week. You were sick. I had games to do. If you've listened to any of the games I've done last week, I did a couple games at Ryder. I actually did one. Closer to, uh, to Westchester, Westchester University, Golden Rams, cool stuff out there. If you've listened to any of my games, play-by-play or color on soccer, thank you for doing that. I appreciate it. I love doing those. Don't know if, Tommy, if you've done that, but it's college soccer. I don't blame you. <laughs> it's okay. I have, a I have a blast doing these games, though. It must be said. They're a ton of fun, and I would love to do college hockey or any level of hockey in the future. It has not happened. But, uh, yeah, so that's, uh, that's where we've been the last week. There's definitely a lot of Panther stuff to get to. And we're going to talk about where they are, particularly after a bizarro game last night. We're recording this, obviously, on Halloween. Uh, I, we do have to start with some things that are not on the ice, necessarily. Um, I guess I'll start with the uh, the Pride Tape uh, ban and then immediate reversal, if you don't mind, Tommy. I know on when we were recording the last show, the Pride Tape ban dropped in the middle of the recording, so I didn't get a chance to rail against it as much as I would have liked to, because we had other things we needed to talk about. Uh, and then I wrote about it on the Substack. You can go find it there, whyhockey.substack.com. Even though our friend uh, from South Africa does not like links on uh, the artist formerly known as Twitter for reasons known only to him. But 
on the pride tape ban i know i texted you this and i know i i have said this to people and i said it on multiple social media places including blue sky uh the reversal was going to happen no matter what because the nhl for whatever you want to say about them they are kind of cowardly and they were never going to fine or suspend somebody for using pride tape that was just never going to happen because as I wrote in the piece, the NHL had at least a tiny bit of foresight when they did their specialty jersey ban that only banning pride jerseys was not possible. The headline would have been terrible, so they had to ban all of them, obviously, in the NHL's blunt force trauma way, right? We know that. Uh, but once somebody did it, I didn't know when it was going to happen. I thought it was going to be on a pride night, but Travis Dermott stepped up and did it before, and all the credit goes to him. The NHL was always going to reverse the ban. That was just going to happen. They knew it wasn't going to stand. I think people who created this policy in the NHL assumed that NHL players were going to act like NHL players and not rock the boat. But the minute you saw five or six players say, not only do we hate this ban between the lines and have that be star players, but then Scott Lawton and John Merrill and others who basically said, we're going to defy it. What are they going to do? Uh, that meant the, the ban was on borrowed time. And... I do want to say this for all the credit that I will give to Travis Dermott, who deserves it. It must be said that whoever was the first person to use Pride Tape was going to get the ban removed. It happened to be Travis Dermott, credit to him, but it, whoever it was was going to get the ban overturned. As I said, I thought it was going to happen on a Pride Night. Uh, Pride Nights usually happen, obviously, later in the year. But credit to Travis yeah. Dermott, and credit to the players for even in some cases saying between the lines in their media trained way that they hated this and you could yeah. tell that they I, hated I, it. Well, for, for, I, I think a lot of, there were some players who even flat out said they didn't like it. And I, I can't remember, um, you know, what, who said what, but you know, I, I think it was a lot more direct than they usually are with, with league mandates. Um, and I think, you know, there was a good vocal pushback, you know, besides uh, the actions uh, of using the tape. So I think that plus the fact that they tried, they changed something that's ultimately in the rule book in the rule book, it says that you can use tape of any color. So, you know, changing that without the, unions agreement the players unions agreement is is pretty tough to to stand by as well so yeah like you said i i couldn't see the standing but even which made it even kind of sillier that they did it in the first place in my opinion but you know oh, it was incredibly silly to do it in the first yeah, place and it all comes because the nhl never thinks proactively about policies it's always a reaction Everything is a reaction. We will get to that in a second. And and their reactions are fantastically uh, off direct, base. Yeah, off base, and usually directed in in a very minimal, impactful way. Uh, it's just they fail sometimes at the to wrong read people. the room. They they yes. they they they, they don't point their gun in the right direction, and it backfires all the time. And how many NHL decisions are ultimately are like it would have been better if the NHL did nothing. Like what Quite they a few, was, man. Quite a few. You know, like it's and usually when inaction's better than action, you know the governing body is is ripe for uh, change. And you know, I've been saying this for a while, but I think 
in the last two to maybe three years, you can really make the case that the league front office, Bettman, Campbell, Daly, you know, there, there needs to be fresh voices and new change. Like it's just time. This is a really good watershed moment with some of the young talent in the game to get a new voice, to get new voices in there and build a better community. And I, I think it would be, it's obviously not going to happen because Bettman answers to the owners. Owners like that Bettman puts money into the pockets and does what he does. So they have no reason to make a change. I saw but... someone, and it was Sid Ziegler, who, credit to him, broke the story in the first place of the Pride Tape ban. And it's good journalism on his part. Uh, I will say that he then called for Kerry Bettman to resign over this. And I did tweet about it and said, look, I understand the direction of what you are trying to say. And... Be damned if I don't agree with some of it, but <laughs> for a league with three lockouts, one that killed the season, for the head trauma that they deny, the Blackhawk scandal, and God knows how many other things I could list, if Gary Bettman survived all of those, he's surviving the pride tape. I'm sorry to tell you. Yeah, especially especially since they've already started the next expansion talks, and they're starting that price tag at closer to a billion than half a billion which is what they got for Vegas and Seattle. Mm-hmm. So, and, and, and and as much as I dis, you know, like a lot of what Gary Bettman has done, and a lot of sports commissioners are not good people, but they're designed by nature to take bullets. I mean, he expanded to Vegas before anybody else got in, and that was a really good decision, as much as yes. I dislike the Golden Knights now, beating the Panthers in the final. And Seattle it, has worked out pretty well, great, too. It was a great decision, and the only problem is the way that the CBA's, CBA is currently structured the players are still going to be paying escrow and still not having a great cap situation at the end of this because the NHL doesn't manage themselves well. And, and expansion fees go directly in owners' yeah. pockets as opposed to yep. being technically hockey-related revenue, which another discussion for another day. But again, on the pride tape thing, I'm glad it's been reversed. I'm glad that it has been, you know, obviously eliminated. The Coyotes' pride night was very weird. I mean, a couple players walked in with specialty warm-up jerseys. Uh, which, of course, you can't have on the ice anymore. The, the, the Coyotes' Pride Night was weird. I don't exactly know why it happened that way. I would have to do some digging in on that, so I can't comment. Obviously, Travis Dermott was, like, I think actually sick. Um, but the key for me when we get to Pride Nights in the future is, you know, nobody else had Pride tape for the Coyotes. Now, I'm not going to be tracking who uses it and who doesn't use it because that's just stupid and a waste of time. But if you were vocal about this, and you say definitively that you care, and I know that you care in the, you know, Connor McDavid sense, I know he cares. Bane Pettinger has told stories with me on the Outfield podcast before about how Connor McDavid cares. If you are the Tyson Berries of the world, if you are Scott Lawton, obviously, or John Merrill. I didn't realize that it was Scott Lawton's brother, I think, is gay, which is why he is the advocate he is, which I didn't know about that, but it makes perfect sense to me. Um, if you are in that vocal category of players. Rasmus Anderson, I think, is included in that. Although, good work on your suspension there, buddy. If you're vocal, I'm going to expect you to do something on Pride Nights. I expect you to do more in general, because allyship is hard, and allyship requires a lot of effort. However, I'm not going to be keeping a mental notebook of who's using Pride Tape and warm-ups and who isn't. Because, again, that doesn't really make a lot of sense. But, if you are vocal about these sorts of things, and you proclaim yourself to be an ally then I do expect the bare minimum, and that includes Matthew Kachuk, so I want to see it from him, too. 
Uh, I don't know if anybody actually asked him about the Pride Tape ban from the Panthers uh, media contingent, which I would have if I was there. No, no. And I would have, and I would have asked. Typically narrow. Yeah, and I would have asked about that because he did do a very good job in March, as has been said. But I want to see the steps taken by people who have said they have taken that they will take steps. I don't obviously think that a player like Scott Lawton won't do that or John Merrill won't do that. And both of them are obviously true allies in the sense of the word. The other part of this discussion I think that is very important to me is NHL players, if you want to really fight for this, if this matters to you, you have to go out of your way because allyship requires you to go out of your way. Allyship is hard. Allyship is 365 days a year. Allyship requires you to put your neck out and... There are certain players in the NHL, obviously, as I said, Scott Lawton and John Merrill, I will give them immense credit. I think they genuinely understand that. But there are others who I would like to see it from more. I saw one comment from a player who's like, well, what what can we do uh, with regards to the Pride Tape ban? And then Travis Dermott, who actually has a lot to lose, who's on a two-way contract, goes and uses Pride Tape very quietly. And I should say that was the most impressive part of Travis Dermott doing it. It took somebody noticing in-game because it was a Saturday afternoon Ducks-Coyotes game. But it took somebody noticing in-game that he used it, and he put it in a part of his stick where you wouldn't notice it until you were looking close enough. That was the credit I think that Travis Dermott really deserves, and he deserves an immense amount of credit for that. Um, and I like that. That is what allyship to me is. It's not about being flashy. Yeah, yeah. It's not about, you know, you, some people will stick their neck out on the line, but to me, allyship is about the work. It's not about words. And I am impressed with that. And I hope other players follow suit because yeah, I know so we'll, they're there. And I know that some of them are, you know, advocates for our friends at Alphabet Sports Collective. Those players I want to see step up. Step up to the plate and do some things. Otherwise, look, I would like to see more allies. I would like to see more people stand up in this way. That is important. But, again, some players... I don't think fully understand what allyship actually is, and it's not their world, but we have to help them on that path. So wanted to get the pride tape thing out of there, uh, out of the way pretty quickly because that's important. And uh, I will obviously continue to hound this issue as long as I possibly can for obvious reasons. And, you know, I, I know that this is not over with the NHL and these, these people and these issues, as I can't say enough. Why did the players that want to opt out for religious reasons, which they can't possibly explain without saying, I'm a bigot, because that's what it is here. Religion is not a shield for bigotry. Why do they matter more than the players in the league who we all know are there that are closeted? Or the play, or the players at any level of the game that are closeted? Why do they matter more? That's the other thing that has to be said. Just because they're not talking about it vocally doesn't mean they're not there. I mean, I don't... Ex Luke Prokop should not have to be the vocal you know, leader of saying, this sucks and it hurts me. Luke is one person, even though I, again, I can't say how impressed I am with him and how much I admire him and love what he does and love what he does every day. He's one person. He can't keep doing this on his own. So anyway, we'll move on to that. Uh, no doubt on this podcast, obviously, you know, as an openly bisexual man, I am going to talk about this as much as I possibly can and will continue to do so until the NHL demonstrates that they care, and that means you have to bring in people who do know what they're talking about to create a policy that makes more sense. Be proactive about this. I know that these people, Brian Burke will come in there, uh, 
certainly Bain and Brock will come in there. If the NHL is showing a willingness to do this in good faith, then they will work with them. I know because Brock and Bain have already worked with the NHL in the past. It's very obvious that the good can come, but it's going to require the NHL to take that step on their own and the people in the league to realize that as much as obviously the people in the league who created this policy are really stupid. I know there are going to be a bunch of people in the league office who hated it. So anyway, shall we move on? Uh, we have to unfortunately talk about Adam Johnson. That was horrifically tragic. What happened in the English league? Obviously another player I know combining these two discussions is uh, Zach Sullivan, who's a defenseman in Manchester, openly bisexual defenseman. He's awesome. I hope he's doing okay. I hope everybody in that league is, is doing okay after what happened. Uh, it's just, it's, it sucks, man. It, it's horrible. And the, the, you can just feel how sad everyone is right now, and rightfully so. Um, any thoughts? Yeah, it, obviously tragic. I mean, there's not much more you can did say Did you not get flashbacks someone. to Richard Zednick like I did at one point? I mean, not just I got, Archer, I got but... flashbacks to it happening in front of me. Or, you know, like it That's happened right. at yeah. school you, you, you have when definitely I was in high told, school. You've definitely told that story uh, on the podcast before, I think. Yeah, yeah. And, I, you know, I don't, I'm not – that's not my story. And, you know, I, I'm not trying to take anything off of that. But um, it's, it's something that is really just so freaking rare. And it, this one is, is a little even more tragic because of – I, I think it's just a product of the times we live in where everything is seen at least by one party as malicious and uh, always needs a, a very pointed and very, uh, you know, conclusive outcome. And there has to be somebody to hold accountable for something. And uh, um, that that's, I think, really making it hard to... Uh, really just appreciate the the life of somebody and to, and this you know try to try to remember that life yes, remember and not remember use their life. the story as yes, a cudgel of something else yeah because i mean we can't we can't change what happened so it would be a, it's a real shame if in the future the conversation around this is more toxic and divisive in the way it's kind of going versus, you know, remembering what his teammates, his former coaches, his friend, his friends, his family all say was just a really upstanding, uh, fun, you know, competitive person who was just taking at an absurdly young age. Mm. So I think what happens in situations like this is the, the rawness of the, I apologize for interrupting, but the rawness of the emotion and the shock yeah. leads us to think in ways sometimes that again, not to say there aren't legitimate issues that need to be resolved here, but I don't think, you know, in the 48 hours necessarily after something like this happens when emotions are so raw and everybody in hockey's hurting right now for right. good reason. I think we need to think about policies, but we shouldn't go immediately to, I mean, I understand why people want to talk about policy immediately, right. but to me, I think policy is a discussion that can happen when 
and it should we, happen we with... Use, when we use the emotions properly of what happened here to create better policy, not just do something because something happened, is I think what you're trying yeah. to say. And Well, and, and that they're made by experts. And they're made by, uh, you know, a certain group of people who can make that decision. Uh, I don't, you know... It's not I never played. For, it's not my place you know, to talk all, about any of this. It's not for every person in the world to have an opinion on, you know, or you can have your opinion, but you, everybody's opinion should not impact decisions that, you know, professional leagues run and govern themselves by. Like, there, there is you know, public sentiment for certain things. But when it comes to, you know, equipment mandates and things like that or anything, I don't, I think it should be made by experts who've made all the other decisions. Like, you know, we don't talk about what makes a hockey helmet safe or not. You know, we just, they just put them I, out I the shelves. I never played. And buy, I barely put on right? ice skates. I, it is not my place to talk about but, such matters. But, yeah. But I mean, like I, if, they're going to mandate it for youth. They're going to mandate it for youth, whatever. That's great. It's not going to change what's happened. And there's much more dangerous things that can happen that we're not doing anything to change. If we or if we're being serious, if we really are talking about human life and saving human life and valuing human life, there, there's so many th things that in hockey you could do better than this conversation. It's just that the answer to this is commonly accepted to be the an easy answer to fix of just wear a neck guard and go about and even and even wrist guards which we've seen people talk about but again it is not my if they want if if these under uh, these associations want to mandate those things it's not in my place to say whether they're right or wrong or not and uh, I've heard a lot of people saying well if you know if the rule just saves a p one person's life you know, it's worth it or whatever. I mean, we'd have to wait 20-some years for that to happen, maybe. Well, because you can't mandate you know? in the NHL. Like, there are still players well, who don't have visors no, no, in the NHL. We did. I mean, like, it's just something that does not happen. Like, you would think if it that the players wearing skates going about hitting each other, would this would happen more. But it doesn't. And it's not happening. I don't think it's happening at an incre increasing frequency. The, I mean, Evander Kane had his, you know, that was last year on his wrist, and obviously that was horrible. The last time yeah. I've seen anything this serious, unless there's one I've missed, in the NHL at least, was, was Richard right. Zedek. And, it, and again, if if there are, there's medics right there. There's, all, you know, like, the, there's a lot of risks we allow hockey players to take so we can I watch mean, the did we not hockey. see somebody last week get stretchered off the ice after a hit yeah. you know I, I i'm not saying that the concerns yes. are not I valid mean, how many how many people how many players die because of cte whether by suicide addiction uh or cte well or some other thing that yeah spawns or, or don't have their lives majorly affected i mean like i mean like I, I understand the impulse, but to me, you know, I don't want to talk too much about it because, yeah. again... Let, let's the, move on. The it's idea a tragic is, story, and yeah. I hope that we, we make smart policy decisions based on what happened here rather than just 
doing something. Well, I don't even want to be thinking about policy. I want to be thinking about this guy was 29, and in my mind, he was doing the coolest thing ever, which was being a professional hockey player. And the other part and, about this that should be said is this dude was playing, I mean, no offense to the English League, because we know people in the English League, obviously, but like this dude's doing it for the love of the game. If you're going over and playing in a league like that, which isn't one of the, the best leagues in Europe, you're doing it because you well, love this game. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're playing in minors at, at a certain age and, you know, you're not necessarily, you, you're kind of at where you're only going to be going down, uh, you know, you're doing it because you love it and not always for a paycheck, uh, especially in some leagues, certainly not for a paycheck. The English but, League's cool. I, I hope everyone in that league yeah. is is yeah. doing is doing okay right now because obviously this, yeah. this is just horrible. Uh, and yeah, like there's, I know I'm thinking about all the guys who were there. You oh, know, I'm thinking, yeah, witness it, and cool. you know, like when you, no matter what work you do, when you spend that much time with people, and you have a goal that you're working towards, and you, you know, you there's blood, sweat, and tears, you know, already in that line of work. I mean, it's it's hard not to be affected by it, and then just go out and act like everything's normal. Um, you know, whether it's next week or, you know, a couple months down the line. So hopefully they're able, you know, there's counseling services, I'm sure, that are, will be offered and everything. But hopefully they're able to just, you know, eventually find peace in what they what they do. Because that, that's, that's tough. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. Um. Let's move on to the Florida Panthers. I don't think there's any other way to transition ourselves to the Florida Panthers, but uh, they have played eight games. It is an interesting sample to work from, and some interesting points that I'd like to talk about from this. Uh, where would you like to start? I'll let you take the, the reins of the discussion here, because we could go in a bunch of different directions, but I'll let you start, because I think there's some nuance here that we I would like to get into. Yeah, yeah. well, let's start with the things that we just want to get out of the way so we can just talk nuanced and or whatever we talk about. And then people just understand some of the truisms that hold true. And we believe in like, you know, give it 20 games to a season. Like we're not panicking, you know, uh, at, you know, there's a lot of things that we have to take a wait and see approach uh, that th this is a good team. Um, and uh, I'm trying to forget, trying to remember the other one. I don't think it's important though. I, I think can... for me, what I have in my major takeaways for the moment is this: I think this team is obviously flawed in some ways that we will talk about. I think there are things that I'm seeing that are good. There is reason for some legitimate optimism about the future. I think we have to balance those discussions carefully because their record is what it is. They have nine points from eight games. It's not great. You know, a lot of teams in the league are scrunched up in that area, so it's not like the Panthers have lost touch. Have they done things that I'm frustrated with? Absolutely. Have they lost games they should have won? Absolutely. But are they in a position where I can see the vision in some areas? I would say the answer is yes. I would like to see some better results. I'd like to see more consistency, not just in game, but from game to game. But right now 
I think they're, I'm cautiously optimistic, I think is the way I would describe it. I would say this team right now is good, caveats implied. I think it has the potential to be a very good, if not great team down the line, but they're obviously not there yet. I think they, I think they are what they are, which is, it's very similar to the team last year and the coaching last year. There's a lot to like about it. And if this was the playoffs, there'd be more to like about it, but it, it is also limiting. They do sit on leads. They do struggle to finish offense. They do, you know, the power plays not, it's does not, not have any rhythm uh you know they're tired and sick all the time uh you know like there i i i don't want to nitpick maurice i want to give him the leash he's earned after the playoff run but you know i want like it does seem like the team is not as sharp snapping the puck around moving with without the puck like there's a lot of standing around waiting for the puck carrier to dictate and honestly, it's the players without the puck that dictate where the puck carrier moves the puck, because it's who gets open, it's who, you know, is moving in in the best path or in the the best ice, uh, most dangerous ice that's going to get the puck, uh, dictate where the puck goes or where the puck carrier is going to skate, because where they're going to open the ice for for them. So, you know, it just seems like they're 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 still in the camp mode of they're working on their legs they're being they're just keeping to the pairs and and lines and just kind of trying to work harder through their issues when issues do come up uh and i would like to see a little more intelligent adjustment in the process i want to start with this for what we're saying again this will be dated by the time you inevitably listen to this because they will play more games but for a positive we talked about how on the saturday night game against the kraken they played their best period of the season in the second period they were awesome and they followed that up with the first period against boston which might have been one of the best periods i have seen from a maybe i was a little bit hyperbolic last night yeah when sure. i talked about it but that was one Sounds of the best like Paul definitely. <laughs> that was one of the best Paul Maurice periods I have seen. Regular season Paul Maurice periods because I obviously they had some really awesome postseason periods. The problem is they couldn't build on it against the Bruins and the Bruins are a very good team and obviously there were it's... injuries, but the consistency in game and from game to game is definitely what you would like to see because I know they're capable of those periods. We saw it last year when they weren't playing that well that they were capable of it. It's a matter of bringing it out more. And showing that they can show that more. It's hard to run the gambit or tilt the ice or dominate or build, continue building through periods and play a full 60 when you can't break out of the zone with possession and break into the zone with possession. The Panthers are mainly getting by by chipping, chasing, and winning battles. Great. That's what they did in the playoffs to, to win and everything. But in the regular season, they have to be able to find a little more on the rush, a little more controlled possession hockey to win more games, to mute chances, you know, to give Bob, you know, easier starts, uh, things like that. Uh, you know, it, it just would be helpful for them scoring, you know, finishing their chances, uh, 
if they were able to do this and have more time pressuring goalies. Uh, I, I think when they do shoot, you know, they're not shooting the score always. I don't know if they know, you know, this is a perennial issue with the Panthers before anybody on this roster was even here, and it continues to this day. They just can't. They're like Sean Bergenheim. They're really good courses, but they can't seem to finish. Uh, well, some and, players on this team have good expected goals yeah. numbers. Others don't, but... Yeah, but, you know... How, how like, shocked were you when Barkov shot on that two-on-one? Not at all. And I'm I'm, I, I'm tired of that being a meme. Barkov makes... Barkov makes... Is known for making the best play choice at every time. So if he's choosing the pass, it's because he believes it's the best choice. It's not because he's a pass-first guy or a shoot-first guy. He didn't get 39, got, 39 goals because he's a pass first guy you know he doesn't have a shot like that because he doesn't shoot you know, i i 100 you know? agree with you i and just wanted to point it out so i i think that is overblown i think you know in that moment it was the right play he saw the goalie was off the angle and he the just pass would have been tough too i don't remember which yeah. defenseman was back but that would have been a really tough yeah. pass. i mean yeah and barkov's not stupid he, you know but also he, i mean to say I, something about Matthew Potra, who is a good player and he's staying with the Bruins for the rest of the season, which I'm not surprised by. I think I think he's quite good. Well, they have nobody um, else. To play they do on. have nobody else at center. But poor guy got mossed on the second goal. Like yeah. the, Barkov just bullied him. And a reminder about just how good he is. And again, not that yeah. he needed to be reminded of that. But um, so like Barkov, you know. Is has decent finish. Verhage has decent finish. Reinhardt's Rod- finishing pretty well right now. Reinhardt's finishing pretty well right now, and that's you know. And then you have Kachuk, who usually finishes well, but is he's the biggest issue this year when it comes to the offense. Nothing against him. Not trying to make him feel bad. Not saying he's bad or anything, but the power play and even strength, he's not really doing much. He's not really doing what he can do. Uh, and his not much is still pretty good for a lot <laughs> he's of players. insane, even if like right but now you're kind he's... of wondering where is some of that with him. Uh, yeah. I want to go into that because when we talk about, we're going to spend obviously an hour, not quite an hour, but you know what I mean. A oh, lot sure. of time on the defense because Tommy was a defenseman but, and therefore no. we think about it from that perspective. But I want to talk about the lines because you've got one line right now that works. I know some of it's Sam Bennett being in and out of the lineup, but you got one line that works. They're not going to be able to reach their potential when you've got one line that works. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Do you put Kachuk and Barkov together? That's always, when you want to switch things up, that's always the first thing you should ask. Because, frankly, I'm a little teased by Zito and the Panthers with their whole, like, oh, yeah, we got Kachuk to play with Barkov, and they haven't put them together. That that that's bugging me. Especially what do you what do you think about like the top line right now? Rodriguez, Barkov, and Reinhardt is ludicrously good. But, but we've seen a lot of Barkov is, lines be ludicrously good. By putting Kachuk on the second line, the second line center's job is now harder than a second line center. He's basically a one B center. So how he his job is to get Kachuk the puck. That's that's a lot of pressure for Lawstrain and Lundell, whoever it is. We don't have somebody who can do that. We Why have do guys you think it can... works better when Sam Bennett's playing with him? Because, because we saw it last night. Because he can. Because the the system Maurice has them playing, the centers have to do a lot of work, and Lindell 
and third line and fourth line, Maurice is fine if they don't score. Like, like those lines can grind it out and score points in Maurice's mind. If he, mm. once he becomes the second line center and he's responsible for getting the puck to Kachuk, that there's a whole different, whole different set of responsibilities. And plus, he still has all those defensive responsibilities. Of, I mean, how many times do you see Bennett just in that first period, behind Florida's defense, getting to the puck first? And then being up in the play when the play's happening in the right side of the blue line. Not just Bennett, let alone Barkov. We've talked yeah. about that during the postseason last year, as like, and also during the regular season too. You, if you're that reliant on centers, you need at least two of them that can do that for 20 minutes. And without that, you it really starts to fall apart because that's when things get fatigued. That's when things people have you know, brain farts or you're letting goals or you get caved in. Um, Can I make the point that I saw a lot of people making last night where we talk about how important Sam Bennett is to what the Panthers do? And I think the point you've just made about what Florida asks its centers to do, that's why they look so much better when Bennett, and this is not to me to say anything about Lundell or Losterine, who we obviously both love. I think Sam Bennett is uniquely qualified to do the things that Paul Maurice wants the the 1B center to do, if you will. And Lundell and Losteranen, not quite. Now, certainly Lundell's better at it than Losteranen. I didn't like Losteranen centering yeah. uh, with, with Verhage and Kachuk. Like, Losteranen yeah. is a really Los- good player, but he's got limitations yeah. to his game. I agree. Lundell's better at it, but he even Lundell has limitations. He can't think both ways the ice and you're talking about low terrain in here not not lundell right yeah he i don't know if he can be a second line center in the NHL. i don't think he is no, a second there's nothing center. wrong with that there's only some there you know there can only be 64 of them right and, so, and some of those aren't very good uh but yeah. i i agree with you like lundell has to be the center on that line until bennett is back and cross your fingers for that and lundell is playing better now but I think, as you say, what you're asked to do in Paul Maurice's system with the center coming all the way back yeah. for defensive and, responsibilities, you need a really special center to do that. And obviously, Alexander Barkov is super-duper special. And I think we underappreciate that element of Sam Bennett's game. Because when we talk about Sam Bennett's game, we talk about the physicality, the tenaciousness, all of these things. But he is a very underrated defensive center, and he does not have issues doing all of the work behind your defense when you are playing this way, and I think it's heightened right now because, and I know you're not the biggest fan of looking at things like expected goals against when we're talking about the grander picture, but for me, it's an indicator of something we can go into, which is right now, if you look at money puck, you look at natural stat trick, top down hockey, wherever you want to look, the Panthers are a top five team right now in expected goals against. And I think what that is telling us is they are very deliberately pulling the reins back because they know they don't have Ekblad and Montour. And thus, that means the job of your centers in this system is even more important because the offense is muted. You are making a trade-off because you don't have your two best defensemen. This is what is indicated to me. Yeah, I mean, I see what you're saying in that respect as far as sitting on leads and things like that i think this is not that's the team that is going out and doing the kind of offensive things that even though they are not the brunette quenville team of a couple of years ago they are more than capable of putting a seven right. spot up on you if you're not careful 
I don't think right now, because of the fact that they're betting in all these new defensemen and Ekblad and Montour are not there, and they are such a huge driver of that offense from the blue line, we know this. Obviously, Montour had that huge jump a season ago. They are, I think, deliberately pulling the reins back in some areas systemically because of it. And that's yeah, why offensively they're not doing those things right now. And I, I can understand it. Yes, yes. But then also it's like, fine, do that, but put Verhage with Barkov. Because if if it was Verhage instead of Rodriguez yesterday, it's 7-2. Because Rodriguez cannot, score, cannot finish. He has, <laughs> he's, he has a great release, which is why he scores a lot of power play goals because he has the time and space. So they can like stretch it and go east, you know, and then he takes the one timer and he has more of an open net. So he just got to get it off fast and hard on net. And the goalie just, you know, it's either the goalie's going to get there or the goalie's not going to get there. And a lot of times, the way if you move the puck fast enough, the goalie's not going to get there. But I mean, he's still he's a good player and everything. But some of their finishing is like, why isn't Verhage on the first line and why isn't Verhage on the first power play? 40 goals. Name another Panther who scored 40 goals recently. Name one. And he's doing this all at even And he's doing this pretty much, yeah. Or like, you know, getting 25 seconds on a second power play unit that has no cohesion because they barely get out there in games. So, like, and Kachuk's usually dead tired by then. Because sometimes he plays the shift before the power play draws the call, stays on the ice, and then He goes, plays the full two minutes on almost yeah, every which, power which play. Is, which is ridiculous. He shouldn't do it every time, especially when he's already... It's like his third shift in a row. Uh, because of that, you, you have enough players. But anyway... I'm I okay with, I'm okay with like, what you're saying Some of the finishing there. is self-inflicted by style that you noted, sitting on leads and things like that, being even, too much... Remember last state. year, a year ago, we had the discussion on why does this team finish like... 8, 9, 10 below expected, and last year they were like 30 below expected. Yeah, and we talked about the systemic so changes yeah. that they made that led to that. And I'm saying some of it is luck, but some of it is also what they are doing deliberately as a systemic choice. And that yes. was what I wanted to point out all of last year. Some of that was alleviated in the playoffs, but some of it's back again. And so I think the more times you see a team finishing under expected which Florida is doing, and now you can say, in regular season play at least, there's somewhat of a chronic problem with this, you would have to say, therefore, it's a little systemic. That is the point that I'm that you and I are yeah, trying to I, make. And, yeah, but like some of it is easy to fix. Like mm. You put your best goal scorer on the power, first power play unit and on the first line with your best passer. Just makes sense. I mean, Verhage has spent most of his time in Florida playing. This is the most extended time I can remember that Verhage has not played with Barkov and at even strength. It makes, like... I get what they I, were thinking. I, get I understand the, I, Yeah, I get it too, but, like, at a certain point, they have to get it. They have to get that if you want to succeed, you put, the, you put your best players with your best players. I mean, look... I don't know. They didn't. They didn't put. They didn't put Ekman Larson with, with Mahora. You know, they put him with Forsling. Why? This is true. This because is true. some players need a certain level of player to get the most out of them, and when and when you need to get the most out of guys, 
I mean, that's why they put Rod- they're stuck they're sticking Rodriguez there, and they keep pumping out the stories of look at their chemistry, look at their chemistry. Yes, they have chemistry. Rodriguez is a smart player and does a little bit well, of everything. I have to and, say, in interruption to you again, I apologize. They signed Evan Rodriguez because you know his whole stick is he plays really good with elite players. That's right. his shtick, you know. So I'm not gonna say, oh, he's got chemistry with Barkov. He should. That's why they signed him. He should. And if it and if they want to do Verhage, Rodriguez, and Barkov, sure. Which they did to start the year, and then Reinhardt got red hot, and that's why they yeah. moved him up. But to to me, the last couple games. Rodriguez has left a lot on the table in finishing chances. And I can agree with that. That's just maybe my eye test, but his numbers know, and, are great. And, that top line's numbers are great, but I do but I also think that it takes so much for me to say a line is one you don't break up or defense pairings yeah. are ones you well, don't break up. You know, they 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 build their lines based on balance. Well, you got to balance it when things aren't going when things aren't going well. You can't they they can't be a one-line team. Right now, they are a one-line team. And we and they thought, are. in the Zito era, in their regular seasons and postseasons, they have almost never been a one-line team. Now, right. injuries are a part of it, but the injuries but are not, not an excuse front, for really. why. I mean, like, it, you can't... Like, we talked about how dependent the system is on centers. But in as a team, they can't be that dependent on what, on Barkov and Bennett's health. Like, you just can't be. Like Vegas isn't like Ve- Vegas can cycle guys in and out. You know they were constantly making team going on deep runs and stuff without guys like Jack Eichel. I mean and Colorado he- is still you know a hundred nine point team when all of their players are in. Yeah, I mean like you got to be able to make it click in the regular season through injuries, and if you can't, then you're not building, you're not maximizing the cap space, and. Or making the most of what you have. And that's something I think they need to work on. Like whether, you know, practicing, finishing, and all that. But put put Verhage on the first power play unit. Yeah, that, for, that just gets I more mean, and more frustrating. To, they're willing to stick with any D pair for like at least two months. They've basically shown us. But they weren't won't stick with their best shooter on the first power play unit for more than like a game at a time. And I, usually I, when it's the game, it works. I know it's it's ridiculous and like you just make it work you know you put Verhage where he needs to be you put Kachuk where he needs to be and then you figure it out from there you know like you just make it work and I I, I would like to I would like to see it because I think as you say I think this team is leaving offense on the table yeah. even and, considering they're playing right now a more reserved style I mean I think I think with the way Reinhardt's going. Uh, you can put Kachuk and Barkov together, and you can make a really good, mean second line. The issue with the second line is you can't have a cold line that's trying to facilitate and make Kachuk happen, because it needs to be a second line. It can't be a, like if if you need, you're trying to get Kachuk going, then you give him third line minutes, not third line minutes. You give him the third line matchups, and you, you can build a line around him there. But you, you need to get a second line that can give you output because right now your second line's your fourth line and they can't finish. But they're generating all those expected goals because they're getting the minutes and the in zone time and stuff because they're the ones going. I don't disagree with it a lot of the times. And mm. 
You know, like that's why they 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 stink at finishing. One of the reasons because they, they can seem to only get you know well any line with Barkov's gonna work, and then the grinder line which should work. I mean, like if if you like that, it's it's funny how right now their most consistent lines are their first and their fourth. Well, well, to be honest, in the new NHL, your fourth line should always be able to generate pretty decent metrics, and if they're not, they shouldn't be playing. Because that you should be able to plug and play, call up from your AHL teams and everything. Uh, you have you know the roster depth to. I'm, I'm kind of seeing guys that from out. the Panthers' uh, that, fourth lines right now. Whoever's playing on it, to be to be fair. Yeah, I mean, like it, like it's basically, it's fourth line in the NHL today. The way Maurice runs it is basically you have to be a good penalty killer, and are you willing to work hard and play to the system? Yes. Okay. You'll do well. And they got a lot of guys who can do that. I just, I do yeah. want to say, just credit to some of, just to talk, because we don't need to spend all this time talking about bottom six forwards because it doesn't really yeah. matter. Yeah. But, but some I mean, of them, but the some of them, baseline have, bottom six forward in this day and age is pretty decent. Yeah. You know, oh yeah. Like, the, the standard's pretty high. I think you know, I've you know, some of like the metrics for Stenland are. But great, I mean, but, if you, I okay. Well, let's not just okay. Briefly. I want to I want to talk about this briefly on the middle six is Lundell. Mm. In my respect, you give you you put Kachuk with Barkov and you let them go because if you're going to be a one line team, at least that one line is going to score well, way more Barkov goals. Well, because Barkov and Kachuk will hold the puck a hundred percent of the time. <laughs> right, like like they're just going to score more goals than any other first line you can put together. So you might as well do that. And if they can't play together, then the then I work on making them play together. But, like, I, 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 for all we've seen, they can play together very well. So, you know, you do that. And then you can give Lundell the second-line minutes because the thing is you're putting – you're trying to make somebody Bennett. You're trying to put people into a square hole. Yes. And they're, they're not squares. What, what you're saying is one... you basically want them to tailor what they're doing around the skill sets of Anton Lundell rather than you Sam make, Bennett is not here. If you take Kachuk off of it, you can make two good third lines, have a really good first line, and then have a fourth line that's kicking on all cylinders. like, And that's way better than what they have now. I don't disagree with you. I can and, see and like, exactly like what you're saying. That yeah. type of thinking is what I think that team needs up front. Other than that, they're fine. Like on paper, they're fine. They got I, I'm hap, I'm fine with what they're doing with Samuskevich and he, he, they, those guys Samuskevich and Skordiff just weren't ready. Like if, it's well well the if you're going by, to play if you're, them, if you're taking them at face value, the the idea is for Mackie Samuskevich to play a hundred games this year. Mm. At this rate, he's. I mean, you can see what they're doing. They're calling him up, and he's playing. If he's not playing, they're sending him down. Same with sort of. And you know that's fine. I'm fine with that because they they were more ready than Denisenko, but they weren't ready unless you were willing to let them go through growing pains and Maurice isn't. So they're not ready. Yes. Fine. Okay. Uh, let's hope they stick to that plan. Everything's looking good. It's just like. They have I don't they have to be so they have to be less committed to this keeping Kachuk and Barkov away because they think it's their only way to having more than one line and I think it's their biggest blocker to having more. Well when Sam Bennett is out of the lineup, 
I think yeah. that is and absolutely. We, we assume, I think you're absolutely correct. You have to assume that's the case for a while. And again, you you have to use this as a warning to not rush Montour and Ekblad. If that means they don't play till after Christmas, that means they don't play till after Christmas. You're 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 trying to you're trying to throw down. I bet you they're going to put down fifty some million dollars on a contract with Montour. Don't put down fifty something million dollars on something you're about to break. You know, like treat we it, saw, treat it we saw the respect. Kevin Weeks tweet that they are negotiating with both of them. If you are going to bring back Brandon Montour at the money that he is going to want and has probably earned, you are 100% correct. Do not rush him back. Don't yeah, do it. But I, well, and I think Montour is going to take a disc. I think he's, I think he's also the kind of player who would take a discount. Yeah. I think what they're doing in Florida is exactly how I would build a team as far as running a cap structure. They put a number on Barkov. He's 10. No one touches that. It doesn't matter that his contract was signed three years, you know, four, whatever years ago, blah, blah, blah. He's 10. Like, it doesn't matter about cap and stuff. Like, he's 10. Kachuk slots in right after that. And if you got Kachuk to say yes, you damn, you better be saying yes too. Because Kachuk had every reason to ask for more than that. He had every reason to ask for 10 to match. You know, guys are showing that they're they're putting on paper. It's hard to refute that they're taking deals. So when it comes to Reinhardt and Montour, if they sign, I expect them to be leaving money on the table. Now, that doesn't mean they're not going to be getting paid fair. Barkov at 10 isn't that much of a discount, a lot of people would say. You know, Kachuk at 9 and a half is... A huge discount, let's be honest. Well, I mean, at the time they signed it, though. Think about at the time they signed it, before the playoff run. Before this, oh, before, before the last season. Yeah. Okay, uh, heart, I, I can you know? give you... It was a discount, but not as big as it seems right now. Right, yeah. But, you, you know, it's still, you know, oh, he only left... A, it's a million, million and a half. That's all I'm asking for. Mm, you gotta I'm, take a mil, mil and a half off the AV. And uh, Sam Reinhardt gonna be ringing the bell if he keeps finishing yeah. like this. This is well, the inverse of last October where yeah. he couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. Yeah, but I mean, Sam Reinhardt is a very smart person. He knows that, and I'm sure his agent's not going to be talking like they know it, but I'm sure he knows that they're going to have to meet somewhere in the middle if he wants to be a Panther. I mean, um, he, he will get a lot of money on the open market, but I think what is key to me about these kinds of players is you know you have a chance to win a cup in Florida. It has now already been proven. It is not a theoretical concept anymore. And yes. if, is there a great, is there a better place to chase a cup than the situation you have in Florida than you would if, find on the open market with all of the factors that are inherent to this? That is a calculation they can make. Right. I don't, I don't know of one at the present. Free agency is obviously months and months away, but that's where we, that's where we stand right now. Yeah, no, I'm with you, and I think that's how Zito operates. He does not strong arm people. But he says, you know, this is what we're doing. This is how we're building, you know, and we very much want you to be a part of it. But it has to be at this, you know, this is what we can do for you. And look at all this other stuff we can do. You know, we think of you as family and part of the core. And, you know, this is a great place to you raise get a, a family. You get a tax you know? break, <laughs> which you Yeah, do. I mean, like they, they have the whole spiel. And, you know, it's up for the players to decide if they want to stay or go. But... It's there are a be lot hard. more players coming than going, that, let's be I fair. Think, I think, you know, it's hard to say, it's hard to take that risk and say, I'm going to go to a new market, a new team, and I'm going to have the same opportunities, the same successes, be just as comfortable, have just as much money, et cetera, et cetera. 
you know, like if I go elsewhere, you know, like I could get more money. But I'm playing for Anaheim. Yeah, but from like the Washington Capitals or I'm going to Pittsburgh or, you know, Minnesota. Are they act like, you know, Nashville wants to give me 10 million or, you know, do you want to go to Nashville for 10 million or do you want to play, you know, seven and a half in Florida? Uh, you know, that's just some of the realities, uh, you know, and I think I trust Zito to make those, you know, Zito and his team to make those calculations and figure out what that number is and how much wiggle room and which players to give more wiggle room to, you know, to me, Reinhardt and Montour of all the guys coming up are probably the guys that you give the wiggle room to, but we will see what they do. We're not at the contract positions yet, but we did see, obviously, Kevin Weeks tweet about that they're talking with Montour and yeah. Forsling. And we have spent an hour on this podcast and haven't really talked about the defense score. I am impressed with to our To be restraint. honest, there's not much to say. I do want to make like, a couple of points on the defense. There isn't a ton overall to say, but there are a few things that I, I want to point out. The first of which is... Uvis Belinskis being, you know, where he is and playing the level I think he's playing at, you might even say he's been their third best defenseman. I might say he's been their third I best defenseman. I don't think they have a third best defenseman. Well, I mean, I don't, Stating well, right now. Okay, I think everyone's playing well. But what I'm really, and I guess this is more reflective of the coaching and where I thought they would be at this point, I'm really disappointed in how the partners are supporting each other, how they're interacting and being efficient on the, or they're, they're being inefficient on the breakout. And I just do not hear enough talking, do not see enough support. There's not enough of, you know, the push pull half ice being on a tether sort of dynamic D partner should have with each other. You know, if one's pushing up, and jump into the boards, the others dropping back and coming to the middle. You know, it's about the shape on the ice that you have and where you're able to best cover the most space defensively, but also be in a good spot to get the puck if they win pucks. To be right in that space, right at the right time, because to get a puck out under these four checks and with guys how fast they are and how aggressive and physical and big they are now, you need to move pucks quick and accurately and first pass is the biggest pass. So once that defenseman gets the first pass, his D and his center have to both be really good options for him immediately. And he has to know where they are before he gets to the puck. Like that's how it has to be to even really have confidence that you're going to be able to break out that puck first first attempt and cleanly and without having to go glass and out. So for me, they're sometimes they're on top of each other too much. Sometimes they're stretched way too apart. Sometimes they're both jumping or they're both passive. And you can say, well, there's a lot of new defensemen. Well, you know, they're new and everything. But it's costing you points at the beginning of the season. You look I, at their I numbers. I think the pairings feel they're... a little off in most cases. And, like... and again... It's not an effort issue. I think all six of them are giving their best efforts and are playing well in that respect. I just don't think, whether it was the camp and stuff, they had the time to gel as partners. I think they had too many rotating partners. I don't know if they were doing enough drills where they really got to learn that second, get 
like if it was me, it's like we have all these guys. We have to figure out pairs quick and get them accustomed to each other. We have to get these guys playing second nature on the breakout, you know, well, you know, as quickly in the first eight to ten games as possible. And to me, they're still a long way away for having not changed the pairings at all. Like for being this consistent through the last game of the regular, the preseason through game eight of the regular season, um, you know, period to period, shift to shift. It, I would expect way better cohesion from them. Defense with the forwards. forwards I think, with the I defense, think even if you look at the second goal last night, I mean, arguably both goals last night were kind of, again, a lack of communication. There's yeah. an imbalance in where they are in their positioning. And we've seen it too in some of these other goals. Like there yeah. just needs to be, it needs to be a little and, bit crisper and tighter in that respect. And when they change the pairs briefly, which they did do, they would sw- they didn't swap Ekman Larson and Forsling. It would be Belinskis would play with uh, Mikola and Kulikov and Mahura. You saw more communication yeah. almost and, and- instantly. Yeah, and and that's almost just a default because it's, you know, putting guys into a spot where they're more aware of this stuff. I have to talk because I haven't played with this guy. Well, they should be doing that with guys they haven't played with long enough, you know? But they just kind of stop. It's just, there's just sort of behavioral things you can do to get them more talk. But I also think, you know, I can't remember what game it was. I haven't had the time to go back and actually pull it out. But they swapped Mahora and Belinsky's. They did. It, it happened. The in, and there, it happened and there in, was an oh, I think the there. first game was Vancouver. They did it when they were chasing the game, and then they went back to it. And then I think they yeah. did it in the Seattle game, and then they went back to it. Yeah. Um And it's and it's frustrating for me because I like OEL and Forsling together. I I can see the vision there. I don't think they're going to play together when Montour and Ekblad get back. Why not? They could. What, and they're not, but I, I think that I can see what they're doing. I think that Ekman Larson is playing pretty well. Like the idea that he's washed, he's he's not washed. There's something that Florida founded him and they're using him well, and I can project that forward when they're healthy. However, let's be yeah. clear. But Kulikov and Mikkel is not working. Like it just isn't. And I don't know good, what it is. They're good off they're good offensively and everything, but they they both leave each other on islands because they're both just really long, lanky, rangy north-south skaters. So, like, they don't necessarily have the best recovery, and they they're not the best. They are not recovery offense. skaters. That's for dang sure. Yeah. So, like, when but they're being coaxed and encouraged to you know be galloping. They're galloping up and down the ice all over the place. And I'm not necessarily saying that's a bad thing. But I think when they're both doing it on the same ice together, it makes it harder for them to help each other out. I think Balinskis and, and Mahura are much smoother skaters, and for and I'm not saying that they're necessarily faster. But what yeah, I think but, I'm seeing is that they they would fit better with, but each other, as opposed to Kulikov and, and Mikola. Like I know Kulikov's got like five points. But of all of the defensemen, again, just by like looking at the metrics, but also watching him play, he's gotten boxed down on a couple of goals, which has been concerning. Yeah, yeah. He's the one that I would want to see Mike Riley in for. Now, we might see Mike Riley anyway because of injury, but 
I think that that's where we're talking about the marginal upgrades, like the marginal things you can do with your forwards to make them better. They can do that. The marginal things they can do with their defensemen to make them better. They, yeah. they can do that. Even though right now, as I said, like Ekman Larson's numbers are quite good. You know, I'm seeing decent numbers from. I, but those aren't the numbers I care about. What I, what I see, fair enough. What I see is I don't see us getting out of the zone with possession quick enough. We can get out of the zone quick, but not with possession. Or we can get out of the zone with possession, but it takes us a while. And I'd have to ask that, Corey that, about that. Of course, yeah, I, I would, you know, but like that's what I see. I see, I see us giving up a lot of goals that should just shouldn't happen. And if you took those goals out, we'd be killing it. We'd be killing it. That's what the difference you know, like, between expected it, goals and actual goals is. So, like, yeah, the unexpected ones, the ones you don't expect your D to give up because they shouldn't, because they're NHL defensemen. Mm-hmm. But you know, that's kind of some of the stuff, like. You know, Lawrence falling into a goalie and stuff because he's trying. He's the only. He's covering for a defenseman who's covering for both defensemen running out of place and getting beat. And then you know he's just on top of the goalie. You know that's kind of in this in a summation of the the defense at some points and a team that has aspirations that Florida does and as good as Florida and went as far as Florida has gone. That just shouldn't happen, whether it's game 8 to 82. You know, like it just doesn't should not happen. And if it does mm. happen, corrective measures. Yes. If the sick and here's the other thing that's frustrating whatever, about but... it to me. Here's the other thing that's frustrating, because last year you could have made arguments about the goaltending being shaky, and I would have agreed with you at some points. Through the first eight games of the season, uh, I think the goaltending's been pretty good. Like, yeah. I, I, I mean, Bob had one game where it was iffy, and it was the one game I didn't watch. But last night, he was really good. Uh, I thought he was really good against yeah. Seattle. I thought against Toronto, he was fantastic. You know, Stolarz, the, the Sharks are unbelievably terrible, but I thought Stolarz is pretty good. And I hope to see Stolarz playing against Chicago and Columbus, who are bad teams. So give Bob a break. I know he's got to play against the Red Wings, but after that, you can play Stolarz. He's playable. The goaltending's not an issue right now. I, if I look at their team save percentage, it's like nine seventeen, I think, right now. Yeah. Which I mean, it's that's not the problem. It's, it's just that can they finish their opportunities and can they stop whatever's happening in the defensive zone? I see it one way. I'm sure other people see it a different way, but whatever's happening in the D zone that is resulting in basically teams getting easy goals on them needs to stop. And Florida needs to figure out how to get easy goals for themselves because they're missing open nets. They're, you know, shooting it right back into the goalie. They're going over on the power play with five a five minute power play. I think you know, this is like a very that. good way to put it. Like the Panthers sometimes give up easy goal, and we said this last year too. Sometimes they give up easy goals, and the goals they get are hard. You know, it's hard work. It's a know? hard, it's hard living, man. It's it's, it's two on. So, the system makes it sometimes difficult for that. You get a two on one, and Barkov buries it, and then a really good forechecking play by Barkov to a wide open Reinhardt. But then, you know, how many times on a on Saturday, like, oh, Lomberg and Cousins hit the post. They should have scored. Lundell missed an open net. Like that's what we're talking about. Like, yeah. they 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 would they need to find a way, as they say, to you're going to give up some goals every year that you're you know that you shouldn't give up. And you're going to score goals sometimes that are, are hard, but they need to get 
to a better balance of giving up difficult goals in a way, like make the other team work for it, as opposed to, you know, some of the goals that I, like the McAvoy goal last night was in some ways quite preventable. You know what I mean? And even the Marshan goal was preventable because of positioning. We're talking about some of those areas and scoring goals that are easier. It makes, you know, find your way to chip those in and the situation eases. It doesn't feel as tense. You know, every game's been one or one plus an empty net thus far for the Panthers. Like, they don't have to be like that. The Panthers can have easy nights. And I think I think they need yeah. a night where they're putting five past somebody. Like, even against the Sharks, they had to work harder than they should have. You know, and that's one of the worst teams I've ever seen. They are unbelievably bad. And uh, yep. I feel for Anthony Duclair. He deserves so much better. I hope he gets traded at the trade deadline to a good team in the Western Conference, not the Eastern Conference. Uh, I think that's pretty much it on the Panthers' perspective. I think we've covered just about everything uh, that we need to get to. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure, you know, they'll pull it up in the next 10, 12 games. Hopefully I, they, their because... schedule they've got, as you say, Chicago, who even with Bedard, they're bad. Uh, Columbus is not good. They get your California road trip where you're playing San Jose. And I know Anaheim's playing decently right now, but you should still be able to beat them. Like there are games on the schedule that are winnable where they could start padding their stats, but they're not a bad team. They are a f- team that has flaws that are correctable. And it's not just flaws that are corrected by players get healthy. I think that's the the message that we're sending. And I think that's what the team definitely understands as well. Like, they're injured, but everybody's injured. You have to fight through that. Um, Yeah. I want to also get on the Flyers a little bit because I think there are some topics to talk about with the Flyers. Yeah. What would you like to say about that? I mean, they're playing exciting hockey. They're dropping games that they should be winning, so you kind of gain the best. And of they're both winning worlds. games they should be losing. Yeah, but you know, you're not super worried about them. Uh, I don't see them making the playoffs. I don't. You know, it's just, are they going to be eight or nine? Are they going to be fifth? draft pick like where are they going to be well you also want to um, see the de- the other development of players that yeah which who, who is, are going to be is, here for longer yes are they maybe who knows uh i think the clock kind of started at there's three years of rebuilding because there's three years until mitchkov gets here so you you're basically wherever you thought you were you're basically saying we have three, maybe four years of rebuild of building to do before we start really trying to win. Uh, and that's to me really hard to really get super attached to anybody. Even like Bobby Brink's playing great, but is it best for Bobby Brink's career to be a flyer through this rebuild or is it better for him to, is it better for the flyers and him to get moved out in a couple of years, let him go have a career somewhere else and the flyers get some assets and continue building. Cause who knows what they'll need or where they'll be in three years. But you have to be at least you know? somewhat optimistic that he's playing yes, well. But I mean, I, I can talk like that. So there is yeah. definitely a change of optimism. Usually it's who can, you know, we'll see what happens if they can even get good enough to worry about that. You know, about, they're doing even, it's not just the young players. I mean, they have to play them on the blue line because, you know, Stahl and Ristolainen are hurt benefits yeah. them weirdly. Yeah. But I mean, it's it's, you know, like you're seeing York play well. You're seeing 
You're seeing old guys play well, like Couturier, you know. Konechny like, looks like he's scoring a little bit. He's found yeah. something. Yeah, but to me, it's just, yeah, it's it's fun to watch, but I don't. It's low it, stakes. It is what it is. I mean, yeah, it's very, very low stakes because to me, all of those guys you just mentioned could be gone, could not be gone, could be bad, could be good. You know, this is a year where everything, it, it is what you make of it. And I'm just kind of having fun seeing the jerseys on the ice that are on the ice, seeing them give a consistent effort, uh, you know, torts is being, you know, manageable this year. Fine. I'll take it. Last year was terrible. This is better than last year already. So, well, you know, I would hope so. What it is. I would hope so from yeah. all that you, you had to deal with. Uh, last year was, I think there's a, it's a bit of a through the looking glass scenario. However, it's a through the looking glass where it's a you know it's not glass half full or glass half empty. It's yeah. like well, how are you viewing something that is you know optimism? Question mark because the Flyers have been such a different you know animal for so long. I think yeah, maybe some of it is a novelty of being a team that is rebuilding and is playing low stakes hockey, right? As opposed I mean, to they, everything being existential, which for the as, Flyers it usually always was. But I mean, we I've been through three rebuilds i i mean it's hard to really say which rebuilds how many rebuilds teams have sometimes they just lump it together as one I mean, long Florida one kind of had like 70 and they were all yeah. mini rebuilds within each other yeah yeah so i mean but like it's hard until you see them win like show the ability to win a playoff series to really even you know after going through it so much that would be my that's my advice I'm trying to live by is let's let's just see who's here when we're good you know like Sean Walker is killing it for the Flyers right now from defense they got him in the trade for Provorov from the Kings he's killing it do I like when he scores do I care that it hurts the draft chances no do I care whether they're winning or losing no it's just fun to watch someone giving a damn wearing that jersey and and scoring a goal other than that i got nothing because i'm way too way too invested in the panthers for my own sanity and uh you know comcast is comcast yeah it's it's comcastic uh anything else you'd like to get to around the league uh there might be other topics to talk about some uh dallas stars they're pretty dang good, aren't they? Pretty dang good. Mira Heiskanen, pretty good at that hockey. Oh, can I say um, Quinn Hughes, by the way, like all the hype yeah. is justified? Yeah, I, I used to be a Quinn Hughes hater. You can't, uh, I mean, the way he I played against the Panthers, you, you can't be. Like, I, 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 yeah. I saw I mean, the, this the, year, the beef. Well, I mean. I saw the beef with Dom Lucision about his rankings, and then I remember watching the Canucks game and going, you know what? Well, I mean, I I I see the hype, man. He's he's playing pretty damn well. He is, but I mean, the real thing is, he's not. He maybe could have been doing this earlier if he had a good partner earlier. And True. that's so you know whether that, that's me referencing Barkov and Kachuk playing together or getting your pairings right or all of this other stuff. Well, we've I think Canucks about. fans would agree with you there, um, wouldn't they? Yeah, yeah, Ronick. I mean. When I saw what Ronick went for, I blew my lid that the Panthers didn't get in on it. I knew why the Panthers couldn't get in on it because their price probably would have been increased 
30% because they're in division from Detroit. But, I mean, Ronick to me is just a guy that is uh, – he's the perfect guy that you put with uh, someone that you really don't want to manage their talent. You don't want to coach them. You don't want to try to have them – fit more of the system. It's kind of you let them do their thing and you put the pieces around them. And that's what Quinn Hughes definitely is. Uh, he's that type of star player. Uh, I, I, I'm enjoying the freestyling yeah. that he's doing. Yeah, uh, but he, he's, you, he's you have to have the right partner for that. And yeah. you can't, you know, like you can't give an, a Yandel to an Ekblad. You, you just no, can't. you cannot. Yeah. Um, so, you know. We'll never know what Ekblad could have been if he was developed properly, but he's still pretty dang good. Um, yeah, um, I, I've been impressed. Yeah, Quinn Hughes is impressive. The stars are good. The Avs, I know they've laid a couple eggs recently, but uh, they're they're still pretty dang good, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, but everything's kind of couched in. It's early in the season because there's still enough early season oddities that you wouldn't put you wouldn't put money in on, uh, like. Montreal being in a playoff That's, spot. They, they've gotten a lot yeah. of bonus points in there. I think they've got two regulation right. wins. I think all, like more than yeah. half of their games have gone to overtime, and they're getting really hot goaltending right now from yeah. Jake Allen. I don't know how much that's going to continue. Um, it's, Detroit it's funny, also though. was on a shooting bender, too, and they're not on one like that anymore. They might be better, yeah. uh, but they're not. they weren't as crazy good as they were at the start of the year. Yeah, Anaheim, Nashville, Arizona being good. I can think you, they can, are. Can I, can I make a point about Nashville? Like, no surprise that they're one of the better expected goals teams because it's a brunette system. That's just going to happen. Uh, but, uh, like, they're also pretty good in expected goals against, which is kind of funny. Like, you didn't see that in – like, those teams in Florida were always good at expected goals against. They weren't great. They, they're they up there right now. They're, they're playing pretty well. The Ducks swept that road trip. What did you think of the Ducks? Because you probably watched that Anaheim Philly game. Yo, how much does Frank Vitrano cost? Oh, he's I, contract year, man. Contract year. I'll, I'll pay him. I'll, I'll bring him back for the year. Because because the dude just shoots the dang puck. Seriously, like, I mean, like if if they if the moment they stop bringing up Sam Muscovich and Sordiff to fill that hole on the right side, in the third line and stuff, I'm. I want to start calling for Vertrano seriously if he's still even shooting at half this percentage. Because what is I his mean, shooting percentage right now? I should look uh, that up. Ungodly, probably. Oh, he's let got, me look that up. He's got two hat tricks in nine games. So I mean, that is insane. That is completely nuts. I'm not saying sign him to a contract, but I will pay the draft pick or the prospect or whatever it is to get him. Cause he, he, he has a limit. Like he's not going to be fetching an insane price. Like I don't, he, I don't think Frank Vertrano ever gets to a first. I shouldn't say that with Ben Schrock getting a first, but you know, uh, I will. I, Frank Vertrano is shooting 29%. <laughs> yeah, Holy but, crap. I mean, but if you look at his, I mean, he's getting blocks, he's getting hits, he's getting, He's got decent plus minus. I mean, for like he's just playing hockey. He, he, I mean, he wants a decent contract. He wants to be in this league. He wants to find a home. I think. How about and, his individual uh, expected goals according to Natural Stat Trick is three point seven. So there you go. Uh, Radko Gudison apparently uh, is playing decently out there, which good, good for him. They got some young players yeah. that are playing decently as well. Uh, that that should be said. That's interesting. Um, Arizona put eight up on Chicago last night. Yeah. Chicago's purposely bad, though. Yes, they are. Uh, I, I don't know what 
I'm glad the Flyers don't have to think about it because with Mitch Kov, it's the KHL for three years, boom, it's done. Don't think about it again, at least for the first year and a half, um, especially as a fan. Uh, but with Bedard, it's like you knew bringing him in was going to – he was just going to – like you brought in Taylor Hall to just be like, dude, it's going to suck some nights. And last night probably sucked for him. He went from – He scored 20-something seconds into the yeah. game, and then they give up eight. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and boy. they didn't even look in it against the Coyotes who, I mean – They're not that well. bad. They're not that bad, but – Still the I Coyotes. Mean, it's still the Coyotes. It's a game where Chicago should be like, hey, this is one of those winnable ones. We should be getting up for this. Uh, I mean, I think they... They won in Vegas and then lost they, this one. I mean, there's we could talk on this podcast forever about every team, but you know, Chicago put together a better team than I thought they were going to, but it's still an objectively awful team. But teams aren't wrong for doing this. We look at the last two drafts, you look at the one coming up, like there are players that are in the top five or so, maybe top eight, that are just demonstrably so much better than other prospects. Mm. So why wouldn't you be bad if you're going to miss the playoffs anyway to, to really make sure you get the best prospect you can get? Because you never know which one of those guys is going to really hit and become Elias Pettersson or Quinn Hughes or what you know. Just yeah, to use. I, I don't. I don't disagree. I, I want to. There's a couple other things briefly I want to get into. We're actually going to have a somewhat short podcast here by our standards. Um, the Sharks are going to contend for the worst team that I've ever seen. I, there have been a lot of worst teams I've ever seen. Last year we had a bunch of teams deliberately tanking. Uh, the 2019-20 Red Wings might have been up there if not for the fact that COVID ended their season. You had the Tankathon about a decade ago. The Sharks are going to join them. And this was not, I don't, I mean, yes, I think it was some ways deliberate, but I don't think they expected to be this unbelievably terrible. Like, they are shockingly bad. Anthony Duclair, please go to a Western Conference team that uh, can help you win uh, in the playoffs. I don't want to see you go up against the Panthers in the playoffs. That would be very sad. Um, he deserves better than this. The other point I want to make, I did watch the, the, uh, the Heritage Classic. Uh, the Oilers are probably not as bad as they have shown, although mm. it is funny that they're not stopping anything. Yikes. Also, I think also to be said, the Kings, good expected goals. They can't get a save. Who could have ever seen that coming? Well, and, with, uh, with the Oilers, my question is, outside of get power plays and get the puck to McDavid and Dreisaitl. What is the game plan? Cause you can't, it's hard to really put together what the game plan is. And I'm just laughing cause I'm, I'm thinking the game plan is to pay nurse a bunch of money to stand around. Um, that's why oh, I'm boy. laughing. That, that was, a, uh, that was, that was a yikes. But I was pissed when we weren't giving Huberto and Barkov the sufficient talent around them. I don't know what I would be doing if I was an Edmonton Oilers fan. Wow. I mean, it is awful. These are two of the best players they've had since the last two of their best players that won them all the cups. And they're doing pretty much what the Flyers were known for doing with their star players, which was let them figure it out. Let them win it for you. 
if they're hurt, just try to get them back. Try to get them to play as quickly as possible. Oh God! Play through the, the it. The 2022 you know, like, Western Conference Final. I mean, them grievously injured. The, I, I mean, I'm sure McDavid was fine. I'm sure, but you know, he was playing in that game early in the season against Edmonton outdoors, whether oh, he was or not. Calgary, like, and we know that you outdoor know, games can be a bit of a mess. But and, yeah. Anyway, I just think the Oilers should get their shit into gear. Actually, don't, because I don't want them to. Well, uh, I would like to see them do better than they're doing. Uh, the Flames, on the other hand, oh, buddy. Yikes. That's all I can say. I, that is a lot more explainable. I mean, to me, it's just a lot of people making well-intentioned decisions because they like Calgary and they want to do well. But... I I think the writing was on the wall that they needed to blow it up and they didn't when they had the chance. And it's just continuing to come home the roost. They got a different coach and everything, but I mean I they got they signed Backlund like I can't believe Backlund signed that contract when he did. Why? And apparently dude? they are now pausing all other contract discussions. Like hearing that hearing now, that Hearing that just confirms everything I just said about just like it's a lot of well-meaning people just making a lot of bad decisions. And like the fact that they're even publicly saying that. I don't think it's been public. I think it's been reported, though. Well, Uh, I mean. The fact that it got out. That quickly and everything. Wow. You know, you know that they weren't like being like, hey, you can, you know, because the insiders know when to give information, when not to give information. And they felt pretty comfortable to report that pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, I, I, even when they were talking about the idea that Hannafin might re-up or some of these other players might re-up, I was like, I don't know about that. Now, now here's a lot of things that they did are defensible. Trading for Huberto and Uyghur. Yeah. With Kachuk, defensible. Kadri signing, defensible. Uh, I think signing Uyghur is 100% defensible still to this day. Uh, Huberto, I, I didn't ne- understand as much because I thought that was somebody that they could get a lot of in a trade. And now you uh, can't get a lot in a trade for well, him. Well, yeah, but like, because it was it was the perfect storm of the year he was coming off of. Even if he didn't do well, you could be like, oh, well, he came to a rebuilding Calgary for a couple weeks. You know, like there was nothing Calgary could really do for half a season to tarnish him if he was going to be a UFA at the end of it, right? At that five point four cap hit, you know, like that was it at that cap hit at at the trade deadline when teams can really make every dollar stretch, you could have gotten uh, the rebuilding starting pa- starters package. Mm. And you could have had Uyghur signed to a really good deal and everything. And you could have kind of did more of a, we're retooling, not re a rebuild on the fly. Yeah. Yeah. You could have winged, you know, you could have done a Canadian rebuild, whatever, you know, the ones they allow you to do because the market's very demanding, Uh, but you know, you could have, uh, so, but again, at the end of the day, it's like, all right, but something, they must be doing something wrong up there if they can't make it work because it's, I, I find it hard to believe 
the issue is Huberto and Kadri just both got the yelps and and are just dusted. I it, that's just we really, know based on how hockey you know works I mean? and based on how the Florida Panthers operate that that's not how that works. Like the Panthers have you know almost not entirely but have made Oliver Ekman Larson look not washed. So clearly it was in the water in right. Vancouver. So like there are market specific problems, team specific issues. Like Paul Maurice, the way it ended in Winnipeg was awful. There were Winnipeg specific problems for that because we saw what happened last year with the Panthers. Like, you know, there are players in Florida that don't succeed and go somewhere else and look pretty good. Like, for whatever reason, you are seeing a very bad confluence of market specific factors in Calgary that are not working. And because I don't like when Zito came in, he had a direction. When, you know, a lot of these GMs come in, they have directions. The coach and the GM. Montreal has that. Yeah, the coach and the GM came in at separate times. You know, you know, like everything was kind of, you know, the players came in through different ways and you're stuck with this core and you're hodgepodging it and the only plan is to keep it all together. It's not, that's not the plan. You know, like Zito had a plan of bringing in new guys, but that was, if you asked him what the plan was, he wouldn't say, I'm bringing in new guys and then just sit there in silence. You know, like it'd be, these are the, were the, you know, you can see the inefficiencies in the markets he thought he could target. You could see the types of players he's looking for, what kind of contracts he's willing to give out and everything. You The, the Zito template is one of the most obvious in the NHL. Oh, it I, works. I, you know, like for, for NHL where a lot of things are behind closed doors and, and all of that. Smoke for rooms and all that. Yeah, there's... You know, Zito's makes it pretty apparent what he's what his game plan is, and you can agree or disagree or whatever. But you know, he's moves it's a confidently plan. It's and a driven. Plan. There's no way you can get good hockey out of a market that has that much pressure in it, fan pressure, revenue pressure, um, and has that much turmoil in the locker room with no leadership in the front office. No leadership on the bench, you know, like it's just no one has stepped up and taken the reins. And at this point, it's like people are so it feels like from my outside perspective that everything's so entrenched already. It feel it already feels like three years have gone by and only one and two summers. Right. It's ridiculous. You but, know, I think when we when we heard that, you know, the scuttlebutt about people not showing up to watch the Winnipeg Jets, which again, yeah. I think it also comes down to like the fact that it it's not that you can't rebuild in Canada, it's that you need to have a vision of what you're doing and then sell it well. The Montreal Canadiens have gone scorched earth and their fans are largely fine with it. The Toronto Maple Leafs went scorched earth, and their fans were largely fine with it. What you're seeing in the places like Winnipeg and Calgary and Vancouver has been trudging along with this for years, praying that you're going to get good, is you're reacting. It's an NHL phenomenon. You react to things. You don't go proactively. If they were truly rebuilding in Winnipeg, you know, not giving the contracts to Shifley and Hellebuck that they did, they did, but you know, and what Calgary did, and also similarly what we saw with the uh, the Canucks. I just, you know, 
rebuilding is hard. You have to do it right. And yeah, there's a lot of losing. But if you do it in a way that the fans can respond to and you give them something to dream on and hope about, then you're not going to have these sorts of problems. But you're not really giving them reasons to hope or dream on. And you're not selling them wins. You know, you have to find a way to sell one or the other. It's hard to sell both at the same time. And if you're selling both at the same time, you're usually pretty lucky. You know what I mean? I really hope that those franchises figure that out. Because they're great hockey markets. Obviously, there's no need for us to say anything otherwise. The fans don't believe in the vision. And if ticket prices are too expensive and you're in a difficult economy, why would you pay for something when you can't see the vision? You know? Yep. The yeah. Philadelphia Flyers okay. are getting people in the building because the fans see the vision. There is a vision there and it has been sold decently enough yeah. by the people in charge. You know what I mean? The Florida Panthers for years were a terrible team with no vision. No shock people didn't want to show up. You know? Why would you want to show up to that kind of team? It's the worst place yeah. to be. Especially for players. I mean, you look at the Pan the, the not the Panthers, the Flames roster. It's good. I mean, there's so many defensemen on the Flames you could pick apart and most NHL teams would want. I would right? take Noah Hannafin or Rasmus Anderson <laughs> tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah, and that's not to mention Zadorov has made himself into a really good defenseman. You got Oliver Shillington. You got some good. You got Uyghur. I mean, those are. That's what six, right? That's six. Pretty much. I mean, how 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 is it this bad? It's not the roster. It's not that the players suddenly are bad players. The mix is sour, and you're not like you got to either blow it all up or find a way to make it work. And Same me, with Winnipeg, man. And to me, if you're going to make it work with this roster, you got to get a vision. And you thought the offseason was their time to sell it. That's the best place. Get them coming in the camp and everything. But it honestly looked like a team of players that came in the camp expecting answers and only got questions. I think a lot of people in that organization may have expected that just taking Toxic Coach out of locker room fixes problems. And... Not necessarily. Yeah. It's not how that works, I, necessarily. I agree. I agree. Yeah. And There's yeah. your diagnosis I mean, on the Calgary Flames from two Florida Panthers should, observers. They're on paper. They you, you have to expect them to be a playoff team. On paper. You do. Like, even if Huberto is an 80-point guy, even if, you know, even if you take, you know, everybody's not in their prime having their best years, you know, they're still a playoff team. You got decent, you got goaltending that, and you're in the Pacific. Oh, it's it's ridiculous. There's no excuse. Look at what the Oilers do every year with worse. Well, worse other than the Stars. I mean, look, I don't. Yeah. I don't. But I mean, I yeah. Mean, it also it also should be said that whatever you want to say about how Vegas builds teams, that's a vision. They they have yeah. a plan and they stick to it. Like yeah. the Hurricanes have a plan and they stick. You need the a plan. The, the Kraken have a plan and they stick. Yeah. Like I might not agree with their plan. Like, I don't think you can go into the league with four third lines and, and win, but they're doing it, and they're proving that you can do something with that. Yeah. If you have well, a plan they, and a vision, then a lot is possible, but you need it, and I don't think some of these Canadian teams have that, and that they, is the problem. It's not the, you can't rebuild, it's, you need a vision that you can sell to a marketplace that is very tuned in. You don't necessarily get the benefit of the doubt, but... As you're saying that, Montreal is the most intense market in the league, bar two, probably, and they went I, scorched earth, and they sold it properly, and the fans are fine with it. I, 
maybe controversial, Montreal to me is the biggest hockey market. I, so if the Canadians can do it, any other team in the NHL can do it from a fan pressure standpoint. Because right now, they are fan base to they have a huge global fan base. I mean, so does a lot of the original six teams and big market teams like the Flyers and stuff. I, I understand that. But Montreal is just as big, if not bigger. They have Quebec, too, just because of the French, just because you can watch a game in French. You, you get French coverage. You get the team speaking French. The, there's so much pressure just on that aspect alone. It's so – it's – such a part of the fabric of community to uh, a level just above the Maple Leafs. And look and at and nuts. look at our friends Andrew Berkshire and the people who cover that team. You know, I think they're a great gauge of where that is. I think Andrew and the people who cover Montreal yeah. at SPN, but in general, I think they're a pretty good gauge of how that team is covered yeah. and what the reception is. Like. Look at how they're talking about a team yeah. that is, again, probably the worst team in the Atlantic Division. Like, like I mean... If you can do it there, you can do it Mont anywhere. Like, if there is one hockey fan base I really think could pull off Arsenal TV, it would be the Montreal Canadiens. TV. Oh, that might be the place we need to end that, because then yeah. I'm going to go yelling about pirates and how but, their fans are completely nuts. I, did, I just did want to circle back to the Seattle Kraken. Kraken, not okay. the Kraken, but Fair the Kraken. Uh, the one thing I think they've done to make it all work, they've been able to figure out and shooting talent. You yes. look at got, like Bjork, they bring in Bjorkstrand, Burakovsky, Sprung. You know they're they're able to find a mode that allows them to pick out shooting talent, plug and play, and be able to get goals even though they might not have talent to get as many goals as they score but they get guys who overshoot their percentages every year who can finish really well and then they put them with lines that morph around them eli tolvin is another one yeah guys that other teams can't that only have to make this one guy work and they can't make it work they can handle four or five six of them and get give them all the their shots and get them all to work or at least have enough of them going. Everly. I mean, you look at all those guys. Schwartz. Dean Schwartz. These guys are just high percentage guys that are hot and Even cold. Even Beneers is kind of like that in some yeah. way. I mean, yeah, he's definitely got more mileage and, and some two-way and a lot more two-way flexibility, um, you know, being a, a really good center. No, he's great. Uh, he's but, awesome. But, you know, like – it's until they get the star talent, they figure out a way to do that. And then once they get the star talent, they can still do, you know, do the plug and play with these guys off the bargain bin who are going to spend a couple of years being like Matt Reed and shoot the lights out. And then Matt they, Reed, holy they crap. If they don't stick, they don't stick. You know, you I have not play, thought about on. Matt Reed in a very long time, but yeah, what a but, pull. But Ron Francis has figured it out. I look. They, they we're talking. You talk about smart teams. There, they've got very smart people yeah. up there, and I know a couple Kraken fans, so I'm, I'm happy for that. Yeah, they have the, one of the best white jerseys. One of the best. Do you want to just punt on Shane Pinto? Because I think we could punt on that for a little while before um, we know more. All I'll say is, just my one line thought is the league should look at itself more than look at Shane Pinto 
Just look at the helmet Shane Pinto had to wear every game. Just look at all the commercials during the feed. Just look at what the majority of the intermission, pregame, and postgame shows all having common. If we're going to continue on that point, the NHL schedule page now includes odds, which you can turn on or off. Listen, if if what is being rumored is true, and they're being very tight-lipped about this, which I find sketchy to be I think there was a, I think there might have been a, a like actual legal document that was signed in this case that is yes. preventing people from talking yes. because I think what I think basically I, I if he did not bet on hockey it should not be 41 games that's I, my opinion Point I blank period. don't the only thing I'll say and we will wrap this show up now I promise is knowing the Calvin Ridley situation from another team I like and what happened there the NHL, I think, is worried. I'm not going to guess on what happened. I have a theory, but I don't right. want to guess because that is irresponsible. Of but me. if it has nothing to do with hockey, so it has nothing to do with the competitiveness of the I don't know sport, if it has to do. I think I it might have to do it... with him, not him specifically with hockey, but somebody else associated with him with hockey could be one of the myriad of possibilities. Right. Okay. Well, if it has nothing to do with involving hockey in any part with any parties, then I think 41 games is too much. Well, the uh, NHL wanted to suspend him for a year and the PA and, was like, no man, we can't and, do that. And like the, the, I just, you, I, I don't get it, man. I, you can't, there you is can't, so much uncertainty. You got to treat it. If you're not going to suspend somebody for, like if Nachuskin's not going to get investigated and suspended, if people who have vices and you know drink and go into the pro- program, this gambling is an addiction, and everything. The way they gamify gambling, the way they've set it up to be always present on your phone, this and this all around you. You're young, you're impressionable. You grow up, you give it a try. It's addicting. First offense, if it has nothing to do with hockey should be treatment and other things. He's not going to play 41. He's going to miss 41 games or, you know, he's going to miss sizable amount of games and treatment, but to treat it as punishment, as a suspension like that, I think shows again, the league is too reactive, too far behind and in the wrong hands. I just do not agree with this. If again, the caveat, this has nothing to do with hockey gambling, gambling on hockey, people getting inside information on who's hurt on the senators to make gambles and then giving him a cut of the winnings or whatever it would be. There's nothing. To I, do- I, I don't know what it is. I, I think yeah, the no only one- thing we know that is he didn't bet on hockey, but yes. there's a lot to be interpreted right. in right. that. And the fact that there is a very strong, I would say legal requirement to not talk about this suggests to me that, you know, th- there is something that needs to be kept and right. even in this sport, people talk. So good night, good hockey. Yes, absolutely. We will be talking to you again very soon with, with more why hockey goodness, I promise. And hopefully not as much sad stuff to talk about. Yeah.